0: Lord Jesus, we thank you for the the beautiful celebration that we get to have today. The celebration of the day that you presented yourself to Israel as their Messiah. And in reality, presented yourself to all of us as our Messiah and Savior. I thank you, Lord, that we get to study your word. Lord, that our faith is not a blind faith. But it's a reasonable faith based on the authority and credibility of the word of God. And I pray as we seek you in your word this morning, that we would continue to worship you. That we would continue to have hearts that are turned towards you and ears that are open to hear what you would speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So over the last few months, really, probably even longer, probably the last five or six months, this topic of wholeness in the Lord uh, has come up on multiple occasions. My wife and I were listening to a message yesterday while we were on the way to play in a pickleball tournament in Buena Vista. Please don't ask how it went. Don't ask. We learned. We learned a lot. Um, But in that, we were were listening to a message by a pastor named John Mark Comer. I've brought him up before. And he was talking about this movement within our culture today uh, where people are trying or, or they insist upon expressing their authentic self. Now, please get me right. I'm not speaking against the authentic self. But what he asked was, well... Which authentic self? And that's a really good question, isn't it? Because we may have an authentic self that does not please the Lord in our flesh and in our sin nature. And for those of us who are believers, we certainly have an authentic self that wants to please the Lord. And and he brought up this, this battle, right? The Bible calls it the battle between the flesh and the spirit. And, and he called it, I thought it was really interesting, um, the, the way he phrased it. It's the difference between our deepest desires and our strongest desires. And they are different. The deepest desire in my life is to know Jesus, to follow him, and to please him, to honor him. Right? That's the deepest desire in my life. But sometimes when temptation shows up, it's not the strongest desire because temptation is easy and temptation is right there in front of you. And so sometimes what's wrong becomes your strongest desire, even though it's the antithesis of your deepest desire. And, and I really I was fascinated by the way he brought that out because i would never thought of it that way before. But so we get into this idea of wholeness. And the idea of wholeness in our society is very different than what the Bible talks about. Because in in our culture, to be your authentic self, to be whole, is that you are basically, you can do whatever you want, and it doesn't matter as long as you you don't really hurt anybody. But the fact is, you're hurting somebody. Even if it's just yourself, you're hurting somebody. That's not God's idea. There's a lot in the introduction that's not up there. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, this is God's idea. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord wants all of us, our spirit, soul, and body, to be sanctified or set apart completely in him. And as we look at our passage today, we're going to see wholeness as a theme that runs through it. We're going to see wholeness on the part of Jesus is now, right? When we were earlier in Luke and we talked about his baptism, right? he, He comes out of the water. The spirit descends on him like a dove. God speaks from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased or with whom I am well pleased. And at that moment, Jesus' identity is reaffirmed and his purpose is reaffirmed. And now here, it's coming to fruition. 33 and a half years of life, three and a half years of public ministry, and it's coming. The reason he's here is showing up. That's his wholeness. Right now, not that Jesus ever had issues like we do with with being whole and and conflicted. Um, At least I don't think he did. And so we're also going to see it in the disciples. We're going to see them taking steps in their faith that they haven't had to take yet. So with that being said, we should probably read our passage. Starting in verse 28 of Luke 19. When he had said this, uh, he had just told a parable, actually a parable of the Minas, um, which is a different message. But when he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite you. Whereas you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. And then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And, he, and as he went, many spread their clothes on the road, and as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this day, the things that make for your peace but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. So going back up to verse 28. He went on to Jerusalem, came to Bethphage and Bethany, the mountain called all of it. He tells two of his disciples, go into the village. When you get there, you're going to see a colt tied up. And when you see it, well, untie it and bring it here. And if somebody says to you, hey, why are you taking my donkey? Just tell them that the Lord has need of him. So not only does this fulfill the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9, behold, your king is coming Lowly on a donkey, on the foal of a donkey. But it's significant for us because I think we can see here what the Lord is asking of us. And simply put, He's asking for our lives. He wants us to live lives of humble obedience and service to Him and others. The command to go and get a donkey seems odd. I mean, just just imagine, you're, you're going for a walk, you're on the Mount of Olives, you're approaching the time of Passover, might have made sense to tell them to go get him a lamb, but they're approaching the time of Passover, and on their way down, he's just told this parable about being faithful in your service, and he looks at a couple of his guys and he says, hey, go into the village and get me a donkey. And they probably looked at him like, huh? Well, and and before they could ask any question, he goes, and if anyone gives you any problem, just tell them it's for me. And it'll be all right. And they did it. That's what I love. Because not only was it meant to fulfill prophecy, but it's meant to tell us that when God tells us to do something, we should just listen. In John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. In 1 John 3, 21 and 22, it says, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So as Jesus here is being obedient to the Father. He is preparing to sacrifice his life in its entirety for the salvation of the world. We also see his disciples doing what they are asked, what they are commanded by their Lord, and doing so without question, even though it was odd. Even though it didn't make sense. Has God ever asked you to do something that didn't make sense? More than once. More than once. Have you ever disobeyed because it didn't make sense? More than once. I've I've done it a few times because, well, you all know me. I'm a sinner. And it's just, it's hard sometimes. But to give our whole being to him requires our obedience to give our whole being to him requires our obedience and we see this first in jesus and we're going to see it more and more throughout the week right as you read the gospel accounts of passion week you will see him not only presenting himself here cleansing the temple which comes right after this we're not going to look at it today Uh, you see him with his disciples Washing Judas' feet, even though Judas is about to betray him. We see him in the garden. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Then he's arrested, illegally tried, and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And then he's beaten, and he's stripped, and he's crucified. And even in his crucifixion, we'll talk more about this next week, but Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And into your hands I commit my spirit and it is finished. Some of the beautiful things he said from the cross. All of it in obedience to the Father. And we see the disciples, right? They're doing all right right now. They're going to have a rough go of it over the next few days. Eventually, abandoning him. And then he comes back and restores them. And then you get into the book of Acts and you see what happens when followers of Christ give their whole being to him through their obedience. Verse 35. So they brought him to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colt. And there they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. And as he was drawing near to the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and on glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. So we sacrifice for his honor. I don't know if you've ever noticed, I always forget to read the titles of my points. For some reason, I'm remembering today. As they drew near, they put their clothes on the donkey. And others, uh, we know this from the book of Matthew, they put palm branches on the road, and they cried out from Psalm 118, verse 26, Blessed is he, who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. Other gospels record that they are crying out, Hosanna, and Hosanna is a beautiful word in Hebrew. It means save now. They were calling on Jesus to be their savior. In a few days, they're going to be calling on Pilate to crucify him. Fickle crowd. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus was coming to present himself as the Messiah, the Savior. And there were those there who recognized it. And that's why they cried Psalm 118. They knew that Psalm spoke of their Savior. Jesus accepted their worship. Even when the Pharisees, which we're going to talk about more in a moment, told him, tell them to be quiet. He said, nope. Even creation will cry out, if they be quiet, because I deserve this. And he's the only one who can say that. But him accepting worship shows his claim to be God. And here we see Jesus there presenting himself to Israel as a sin offering. The offering that was going to be made on Passover in just a few days. He was there to be that sin offering. And I've mentioned this before, but if if you weren't here for our studies in Leviticus, um, which who wouldn't be excited about studies in Leviticus, right? Um, Go back. You can go back and you don't have to listen to them all. But just listen to the chapters where we talk about the sacrifices um, and how, Jesus fulfilled everyone. You can do the same thing with the feast if you don't want to listen to the whole book. Listen to the whole book. It's good for you. But um, if you just do that, it's really amazing that we, we read the Old Testament law and we think, well, that doesn't apply to us. But what it really does is it all pointed to Jesus Christ. And then you can make comparisons into the Gospels as to how he fulfilled those sacrifices. here. He is the sin offering, the Passover lamb. And he's presenting himself to the nation of Israel, just like they had to present the sacrifice to the priest in the Old Testament. And he did this so we could be forgiven. But we can offer him sacrifices. We do not kill animals anymore. Um, Well, to eat, that's different, but not... For sacrifice, right? There's no altar up here. There's there's no knife. We're not going to take care of a lamb up front in church next week. We're not going to do that. Or on Wednesday. Wednesday, I think, is actually Passover, if I remember correctly. Um, we're not going to do that. Right? And even the Jewish people can't do it anymore because they have to have a temple to sacrifice, and they don't have a temple at the moment. But we can make sacrifices. We can offer him sacrifices. One of the first things we see here is that they took their own clothes and they laid them on the coal and they laid their clothes on the road. Now you have to imagine, first century Israel, there was no Walmart. You couldn't drive over to Springs and go to the Dillard's Outlet. Couldn't go to Amazon.com and go, I need a new, t- a new t-shirt or I need a pair of socks. This was a sacrifice for them that would represent not only their own personal well-being because if their cloak got ruined, they didn't have a cloak as the donkey walked over it on a dirt road covered in rocks. But it also um, represented a sacrifice of material goods. Now, we're going to spend the next 20 minutes talking about tithing. You know me better than that. Because it goes well beyond giving to the church or some other charity. It is a recognition that everything we have is from him and belongs to him and therefore is meant to be used for his glory. Those who put their clothes on the donkey and on the road demonstrate this for us. And, and, it, and it's easy to consider that it's hard to walk it out, right? We can make a, a recognition. Yeah, everything I have is from God and everything that I have belongs to God. You can make that statement. Remember last week, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk. It's easy to say, yeah, everything I have is God's. It's so much different to actually live that out. Like I said, and I'm not talking about dropping a $20 bill on the plate on Sunday. That can be part of it. But do you look at your car and think this belongs to God and I want to use it for his glory? Do you look at your home and think that way? Do you look at your possessions and think that way? There was a time I really, really struggled with that. And don't get me wrong, I still do from time to time now. I'm, I'm far from perfect. You all know that. But there was a time when I was like, no, this is mine, right? God gave it to me, but it's mine. That doesn't apply to my wife and children. That doesn't apply to my guitars or my pickleball paddles or anything else. It's all his. And if he wants it, I'll do whatever he asks me to do with it. I might not like it, but I'll do whatever he asks me to do with it because It's his. Romans 12.1 I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Second, we can offer a sacrifice of praise. And we have talked about this a few times in the last few weeks, that worship is not just something we do when we sing songs on Sunday morning. Singing songs on Sunday morning is part of worship, and I love doing it. I love singing songs. If you ever sneak in the church um, when when nobody else is here but me, um, you will probably hear me singing in the bathroom, or as I walk down the hall, I love singing worship songs. But that can't be all we do in worship. This is worship. Listening to the Word of God, and hopefully we're all listening to the Spirit of God and not me, that's an act of worship. Shoveling your neighbor's driveway. Act of worship. Bringing a meal to somebody who needs a meal. Act of worship. So on and so forth. Our entire life should be an act of worship. A lifestyle where we offer to God the praise and adoration he alone is worthy of. Hebrews 13.15 says, Therefore, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. The, the, uh, the crowds, right? The Pharisees called to him from the crowd, rebuke your disciples, because they knew what was going on. They knew that the Crowds crying out, Psalm 118, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They knew that the crowd believed he was the Messiah at that point. They knew that they were worshiping him, and they didn't like it. So they said, Teacher, tell your disciples to shut up. And if you were reading in the Message Bible, he would say, No, you shut up. That's not what it says. I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out, right? The Pharisees recognized this worship. They wanted Jesus to rebuke them. They recognized who Jesus was claiming to be when he refused to do so, leading to the weeping that we're going to talk about in a moment. And there may be times when we are ridiculed for our worship. There may be times when the world looks at us and says, well, why would you do that? That doesn't make any sense. Why would you give money to that person? They don't need it. Why would you bring a meal? Why would you give somebody your jacket? Why would you give somebody a ride? Why would you pray for them? Why do you waste your time getting up on Sunday morning to go to church when you could sleep in and go play a golf once the snow melts? Or you could just sleep in. Why, why would you waste your time doing that? Well, because if we don't, the rocks will. And I'm not going to let creation do my job. There may be times that we're ridiculed. It doesn't change that we continue to offer our worship to Him. I'm not going to let anything else give God the praise, adoration, and glory that I am supposed to give him. To give our whole being to him requires our sacrifice, the giving of our whole self to him. Obedience, sacrifice. Oh, these are words that aren't popular in Christianity today, are they? Right? Live your best life now. Thanks, Joel. Right? You should be happy. You should be wealthy. You shouldn't have any problems. Well, if you're a follower of Christ, then then your life is just going to be a bed of roses and everything's going to be happy. Whoever's saying that has never opened this book. Like ever. Because that's not what Jesus told us would happen. When Jesus called his disciples, and we'll get there when we we make our way up to Luke chapter 9, when Jesus called his disciples, he said, come and follow me. And then he said, take up your cross daily and follow me. The call to follow Jesus is a call to die. The call to follow Jesus is a call to die. We die to our flesh. We die to our self We die to our selfish desires. We we die to our will, surrendering to his. We sacrifice anything and everything that he asks for. And it's minor. And believe me, I know what some people sacrifice, what they've sacrificed throughout church history, what they sacrifice now. And, And I'm not trying to minimize that. But it's nothing. Our present suffering is nothing compared to what's coming. It's Romans 8-something. I think it's 26. Um, I could be wrong. My wife's going to look it up and tell me I'm wrong. But I think it's it's Romans 8-something. But our present suffering means nothing compared to what's coming. And he knows that. But we, as a society... Right? those who, who embrace Christianity at all, the big C church overall looks at they want an easy Christianity. They want one where, well, I can go to church on Sunday, and I can put a check in the plate, and I can sing a song, and I can take notes on a, on a well-prepared you, you know, uh, self-help lecture, and then I can go about the rest of my life and pretend that Sunday never happened. Until the next Sunday when I do that again. That's what people want from their churches. And people talk about what they want from their church. Now, I'm here to serve you. And so are our elders. And you're here to serve me. And we're here to serve the community. That's why we're here. If you come here only for what you can get, your motivation is incorrect. And there's a lot of people that have turned church into what the rest of our culture has become, consumerism. Well, you know, I I don't like going to that church. The preacher talks too long. Right? I don't like going to that church. The music's not very good. I don't don't like going to that church because, you know, can you believe it? They asked me to help pick up trash. The nerve, right? Yeah, the nerve. The nerve. How dare you don't you know that's beneath me I've had conversations with people before who want to go into ministry Um, and it's always fascinating to me that I get to have those conversations Um, and they'll they'll talk about well you know I I really want to get into ministry and I I want to serve at the church and I'm all great maybe you can help mow the lawn now, some people go, well, yeah, great, I'll, I'll help mow the lawn. And i said, well, no, that's not what I meant. Well, what did you mean? Well, you know, maybe I could I could preach on a Sunday morning. Nope. Maybe maybe I could take over Sunday school. Uh uh-uh. uh or, or maybe no. Nope. If you won't clean a bathroom, you don't deserve to preach. If you won't mow the lawn, you don't deserve Sunday school. If you're asking me. For a leadership position because you think you deserve it, you're not getting it. Because that's not how the kingdom of God works. And I've told you this before, and it's weird for me to say that standing up here. Um, But I I didn't choose this. I'm grateful for it. And I love what I do most of the time. But I didn't pick it. I didn't ask for it. Sometimes I try to give it back. But he won't let me. And I'm okay with that. But Christianity is about obedience and sacrifice. And that's not something that the world wants to hear. That's not something that most of the church world wants to hear. But it's true. Verse 41. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this, Your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus wept over them, wept over the city. He predicted what was about to happen the destruction of Jerusalem, which would happen in less than 40 years. Some, according to history, something like 100,000 Jewish people crucified when Rome uh, finally destroyed Jerusalem. Tore the temple brick by brick so they could get all the gold that had melted between the walls when one of the soldiers set fire to the temple. There was nothing left. Right? You can, you can go there today and they've excavated stuff that, that survived because it was under the dirt. But most of it torn to shreds. Why? Because they missed the day of their visitation. And Jesus wept over it. He missed. They missed the day that would make for their peace. And this is a day that was prophesied in Daniel chapter 9. This is a day that they were told was coming. This was a day that they were waiting for, that they were looking for, that they were in expectation of. And when it finally arrived, they missed it. And Jesus was brokenhearted over that fact. Their salvation, their way to God the Father was right in front of them in Jesus the Son. And they missed it. They got angry over it. They rejected it. They plotted to destroy him and the result would be their own destruction. I'm not Jesus. Newsflash. But I've had moments in my life where I've been ministering to people, sharing the gospel with them, praying for them, and that moment came. I'm like, you need to know Jesus as Savior. It's right here. And they looked at me and went, no. Why? Why? I've had that happen with family. I've had that happen with friends. I've had that happen with people in churches before. Like I said, I'm not their Savior, and it breaks my heart. I can only imagine what this did to him as he wept over his people, over the people that he loved, over the people he was there to die for, and they simply rejected him. So I ask this question, have you recognized the day of your visitation? Now I know pretty much everybody in here. And if you have been confronted with the truth of God's word and the reality of salvation through Jesus alone, and you have repented of your sins and been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, then I praise God with you. For we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We will spend eternity together worshiping him. I may even share my chicken fried steak with you. May. I said may. I didn't say would. I said I may. It's heaven. Get your own tree. Because we are new creations in Christ. We are adopted into God's family. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. And in doing so, we have given our whole selves to him, or we should have. We should be sanctified completely in body, soul, and spirit in Christ. Not because we're perfect. Not because we won't make mistakes, but because we recognize we no longer belong to ourselves. We belong to Him. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. Because we now belong to him and if that's not going on in your life i'm not here to put you down or tear you apart but you need to ask yourself what's holding you back what is keeping you from surrendering completely to him and as you ask that question and honestly listen for the answer i apologize it won't be fun because we've all got something i'm sure But what if you're here, because maybe I don't I don't know all you well, I think I do. Or maybe you're listening to this recording, or maybe you're joining us on Facebook, and you haven't done that yet. You haven't given your life to Christ. Today is the day of your visitation. Today is the day that Jesus is being presented to you and offering you peace. Today is the day when God has revealed his son to you. And you have the opportunity to come to him, to call on his name and belief, repent of your sin, and let his grace and love bring you restoration and forgiveness. So I put, it's in your notes, it should be up behind me, I think, the Roman road. Each message this week, I'm going to share with you a different way to present the gospel. It's good for us to keep these in mind. And so, for anybody who doesn't know Christ, for anybody who wants to be whole, wants to be forgiven, wants to know God's plan and purpose, and you don't know it yet, starts in Romans three twenty three. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you don't already know it, you're a sinner. If that doesn't make you feel good, too bad. You're a sinner. So am I. It's not meant to make us feel good. It's meant to break us so that we seek our Savior. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. So not only are you a sinner, but what you're going to get for your sin is death. And not just dying physically, but an eternal spiritual death. And what I mean by that is not that your spirit dies, but that you will suffer eternal judgment. Well, that's not very uplifting. But the gift of God... Is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord? There's the uplifting part. Yeah, I'm a sinner. Yes, what I deserve for my sin is death. But God has given me a gift. And that gift is eternal life in Jesus Christ. And then Romans 10.13 tells us, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I love those verses. I love the verses that say whoever. Because it doesn't say that you have to be a specific socioeconomic class. It doesn't say that the, the level of melanin in your skin has to be lesser or greater. It doesn't care what language you speak. It doesn't care where you grew up. It doesn't care who your parents are. It doesn't care what you do for a living or what your level of education is. It does not care. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I love the gospel. Because Jesus didn't look at me and say, all right, well, as soon as you stop doing this, that, and the other thing, and as soon as you memorize the gospels, and as soon as you go to church for two years, and as soon as you get baptized, then I will think about saving you. He said, call on me. And I said, Jesus, I'm, I'm wrong, and I'm sorry. That was my prayer of salvation. I've, I think I've told you that story. If I haven't, ask me later. I'm wrong and I'm sorry. And I called on the name of Jesus and he said, sweet. And he saved me. And the angels rejoiced. And here I am 26 years later, almost. My spiritual birthday is next month. And I'm still here. And I'm still moving forward. And it is by the grace of God. and not because of anything i did to give our whole being to him means we hold nothing back not one single part to be whole in christ is surrendering or is to surrender everything to him mark 8:35 said whoever desires to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it Have you ever been so determined to not lose something that you put it away in a very specific place to make sure that it would be safe and there when you needed it? And you're all, there's a lot of people already smiling because what happens? You forget where you put it. Whoever tries to save his life will lose it. Now in our house, it's a little bit different. I have a very specific filing system. Everything goes on the table. And if nobody touches the table, when I need it, it will be on the table. Unless my cat knocked it off, and then it'll be on the floor under the table. But still, the same general vicinity. Guess what happens? My wife, who's beautiful and perfect in every way, she'll move it. And I'll come home, or I'll come down, or whatever, however it happens, I'll look at the table, I'm like, where's my stuff? I put it away. But what if I need it? Then I know where it's at. Lies! (laughs) Because later when I need it, okay, so you put it away, where did it go? I, I, I forget. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But if you lose your life for the sake of Christ, If you just give it away and say it's yours, do what you will. Then he will save us. As we close, Easter is a wonderful time of reflection. This whole week, we're going to be offering times to worship, to hear the word of God, explain to us the account of what Jesus has done for us. It gives us time to take stock of our lives our relationship with God, to remember all that he has done for us. So I hope you're able to come to some of the other services. I hope and pray that God will work in your heart, life, and mind, and that he will work in mine, that we will recognize the day of our visitation. Even if you've been a Christian for a long time, even if you wake up every single day thankful for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, There's nothing wrong with taking a little bit of time to be very intentional about it. And even if you've been a Christian for a long time, God wants to visit you right where you're at. He wants to do a new or better or broader or bolder work in your life. None of us has arrived. And I know that because we're here. If we had arrived, we'd be there but we're here so we haven't arrived and what that means is God's not done with you what that means is maybe he does want to do something new in your life be open to that maybe he wants to take something that you're already doing and he just wants to make it better or he wants to make it broader or he wants to make it bolder three b words that could have been a whole sermon by itself but he wants all of you. He wants you to recognize that and surrender to him. And as we do, we're going to continue to see him work in our lives, in our church, in our community, and it's a beautiful thing. Let's pray. Father, I give you all the glory for your grace, for your love, for your mercy. I pray for myself and anybody who wants to agree with me, a prayer of repentance. Because I know there's parts of my life that I struggle to surrender to you. I know there's times in my life that I struggle to be obedient. And I pray that you would forgive me for that. And I know that every aspect in our lives, that the only way we're going to be obedient, the only way we're going to be able to sacrifice and surrender is by the power of your Holy Spirit at work in us. The guidance of your word to teach us and correct us and instruct us. And so I pray for that. That your spirit would lead. That his power would be present in our lives. That we would recognize it and follow him. That we would listen to your word. That we would hear when you speak to us. And that we would follow you as individuals, in our families, in our church. And that in all things, you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.